the burst of power of our salvation. And every breath that we breathe is from you, God. It's from you alone. It's from you. We gotta see you one more time. It's your breath. want to just, uh, I really want to dive right into the Word of God this morning. We're beginning the book of Revelation, so I'm going to let you look inside of your uh, worship folder there, your bulletin, a couple of announcements. There's some. There's an insert for uh, the thank you for the involvement in the Love Now campaign and all the workers at our uh, barbecue on last Sunday, some information on a potluck coming up for our 55 and overs. And then uh, there's information about the women's retreat and the community-wide worship service. I'm very excited about where we are right now in the Word of God. I must confess that of the 66 books contained in the New Testament, or in the entire Testament, uh, the front end, Genesis, and the back end, Revelation. Probably my two favorite, favorite books to be in, to be studying from, and to be teaching out of. And so, very excited where we're headed. want to encourage you on a number of fronts. Be in church on Sunday mornings. And come Sunday evening. Sunday evening, we will be doing a verse-by-verse study through the entire book of Revelation. Revelation is one of those books where many have avoided it. Because it has been said... And many believers have said this. I've heard this many, many times. Well, it's a difficult book to understand. Well, I want to encourage you that 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 is not actually the case. The book of Revelation is a revealing, not a concealing. And so as we spend time, we hope to have really our eyes opened, if you will, the veil removed so that we will be able to clearly see. Because... I believe wholeheartedly, and I know you believe wholeheartedly, that God wants us to be in the know. 
He wants us. And most importantly, he wants us to have a clearer revelation of who he is. A clearer revelation of Jesus Christ himself. So uh, we'll begin this morning, book of Revelation. It is the only book of the 66 books. It is the only one that comes with a special blessing to the reader, to the hearer, and to the keeper of all that is contained within it. A special blessing. So, in relationship to that expectation that you arrive with every Sunday morning, will you come with that expectation that God is going to bless not only me individually, but our fellowship collectively because we are spending time in this prophecy, in this message of Jesus Christ, in this revelation of Jesus Christ to his church. So, let me first say that there are theologically four different approaches to the book of Revelation. I don't want to bore you with any details. I'm going to just let you know that there are four main ways that people have looked at the book of Revelation over the centuries. I'm going to tell you ahead of time that we are the futurist type. We are the ones who believe that what is said here are actual events that will be occurring in the process of time. Okay, So, the preterist views it really as being a historical record of events that have already occurred. There is a theological position that all of the events contained within the book of Revelation happened before 70 AD. Okay? There is the idealist interpretation, which is a more liberal view. It really looks at Revelation as a series of allegories, if you will, a look between good and evil. A look between good and evil. The uh, historist would look at this and say it's really a combination of the two. Some historical events that have already happened and some allegories in relationship to good and evil. And then the futurist is one who looks at it and sees the book of Revelation as events that will be happening in the future. That is where I am. I believe that this is a prophetic book. The scripture tells us that Jesus is giving us this revelation that had been given to him by the Father to reveal to his servants some events that are about to take place. So, we'll dive in. This book contains 404 verses. I know you knew that already. Here's the interesting part. 278 of those verses refer to over 800 allusions from the Old Testament. 800 idioms, if you will. 800 types, symbols, or signs from the Old Testament. Well, here's the good news. It's an inspiration for every one of us to, again, become students of the Word of God and to be familiar with the stories contained within the Old Testament. You may be here today and you say, well, I'm not super familiar with the Old Testament, Dave. 
What, will that be difficult for me? Well, the good news is we're going to spend time when those allegories, when, excuse me, when those uh, allusions or when those idioms arrive, we will refer back to the Old Testament so we can have a greater understanding in our interpretation. It has been said that the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed and the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. One of the first rules of biblical interpretation is we let Scripture interpret Scripture. And so we will go to the Old Testament, we will go to those stories, and we will let those help us understand the book of Revelation. So it's going to be a time for us to really be in Bible study, to grow in the knowledge of the Word of God, but more importantly than anything, as we dive into the book of Revelation and consequently be referring to the Old Testament, we will discover that Jesus is the theme of all 66 books of the Bible, and it truly is. It's like going back to school. How many of you remember the textbook you had in school? How many of you discovered that at the end of each chapter where there were questions about the chapter, if you get to the end of the book... All of those answers are in the last portion of the book. Well, it's the same thing with the Word of God. It seems that the book of Revelation sums up and answers so many questions that followers have. So I'm very, very excited about diving in. Um, Okay, let's give a couple quick historical details to set the tone, if you will. The date of the book, it has been noted at least in church history where Irenaeus very specifically identifies that this particular letter occurred at the end of Emperor Domitian's reign. So we can, with some assurity, know that this was after 70 AD and the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. And it occurred sometime later that it was actually Domitian who exiled John on the island of Patmos after he tried to boil him in that oil cauldron that we've talked about on a number of occasions. He exiled him somewhere between 95 A.D. and 96 A.D. Okay, so that gives us the time frame. Here's the culture. The culture for a Christian living in the days of the Roman Empire in in this first century towards the tail end of that first century. There was Caesar Nero. It is estimated that Caesar Nero, just before Emperor Domitian, that nearly three million Christians had their lives taken from them and were martyred during that day. Domitian was not nearly as insane in relationship to his persecution, but rather he was more sane about his persecution. That's what made him worse. He really, with all intent, knew exactly what he was doing and with all intent looked to destroy Christianity. And so also under his reign, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Christians 
lost their lives. So to wrap ourselves around this, let me remind everyone Christianity from the time of Christ to today faces tremendous persecution. Tremendous persecution. It has been estimated that to this very day, anywhere from a quarter of a million to 350,000 Christians are giving their lives on an annual basis for the testimony of Jesus Christ. It's time that the church in America also becomes very aware of the persecuted church and that we pray and we fast for our brothers and our sisters who are giving their lives. We are living in the last days and our brothers and sisters who are heavily persecuted need our prayers. Need our prayers. Father, right now, as the body of Christ that meets at Hillside Christian Fellowship, Lord, we pray for the persecuted church across the globe. Lord, those who are, those who are faithfully declaring Jesus Christ as Lord and giving their lives, we pray, Father, that you would grant them grace, that you would grant them strength, that you would grant them Favor, And that, Father, as each one gives their lives for their faith, Lord, may the seed go forth and bring forth a harvest. May the lives not be lost in vain, so to speak. But, God, may the word go forth powerfully and effectively as we saw even in the first century. God, so may it today. In nations where they're closed, in China, other communist nations, other nations, God, where uh, Islam is really the dominance. God made people who are giving their lives see family members give their hearts to Jesus as a direct result of their martyrdom. Lord, we pray and we ask God your grace and your mercy and your help. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. 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 A terrible culture. A terrible culture indeed. We are, in the near future, likely in the month of November, we'll have some more evenings of prayer on Sunday night. Minimally one. We will set aside a day, if not a week, in the month of November for prayer and fasting for the persecuted church across the globe. So I want to encourage you to plan to be a part of those things that are forthcoming. The author of the book, this is very interesting to note, many Bibles say the revelation of St. John as the title. The revelation of St. John. It is not the revelation of St. John. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ, as we'll see in a moment in verse 1. But John is, in fact, the author. As you know, he was exiled on the island of Patmos, and while he was there, he was given this revelation. And it's interesting to note, and we'll see this in the first three verses, which we will focus on this morning. We will see that God himself gave this revelation of Jesus to Jesus. That might seem somewhat confusing. And yet we can recognize that while Jesus was here prior to the ascension, he was not fully knowledgeable of all things. He said, of that day and hour, no man knows but only my Father which is in heaven. 
So clearly Jesus was not fully unknown. God was giving him a revelation to give to his servants. And so we'll pick up on those pieces. But John is the author. And it's interesting to note again that John is the author of five of the books of the New Testament. He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote the three small epistles, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, which we just recently went through, and the book of Revelation. Noteworthy that he tells us why in the Gospel of John, why the Gospel of John was recorded. It was recorded that we might believe in Jesus. In other words, that we might be saved. Interesting to note also that God the Holy Spirit had John write and pen out why he wrote those three little epistles. He says in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13, he says, I write these things that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know. So the gospel was written that we might be saved. The epistles were written that we might be sure. To be saved, to be sure, and the book of Revelation, in a nutshell, was written that we might be ready. That we might be ready. Listen, folks, Jesus is coming soon. He is coming soon, and we need to be ready. Again, the title of this book, in the Greek, uh, Apocalypsis. Apocalypsis. Am I still on? There we go. Apocalypsis. It's a compound Greek word, apo and kalupto. Apo is off of, removed, or away from. Kalupto is to hide or to veil. So the compound word apokalupsis is to remove away the hiding or to remove away the covering. It's like an artist who has a sculpture and he's getting ready to reveal the sculpture and it's covered in a big tarp. And just before the revealing, there's a big drum roll and then he pulls the rope and whoosh, here's the sculpture and it's revealed. That is what apocalypsis is. It is an unveiling. So a hidden truth is now being revealed. And it also carries with it responsibility. Responsibility. The message, even the Greek word, it's, it is a laying bare, a disclosure of truth that comes with it instruction. And so as we go through this unveiling, there will be some instruction for every one of us. Every one of us. Okay. So the key verse is Revelation chapter 1 and verse 19. As I mentioned, this is the only book of the 66 books that has a blessing that comes with it. It is also the only book contained within the context or the canon of Scripture that comes with its own divine outline. The divine outline is, wrong, or is uh, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 19. Revelation 1.19 says this, Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. Three distinct sections. The things which thou hast seen, the things which are, and the things that will take place hereafter. Three distinct areas. And so, the divine outline. And we will spend much time 
looking at each of these sections, if you will. The things which you have seen. Again, Jesus giving these words. John, write what you have seen. What he sees while on Patmos is Jesus Christ himself. Jesus shows up, and we'll go over this in detail tonight. But Jesus shows up on the island, speaks to him. John turns around to hear the voice that speaks. And he sees not only the living, resurrected, but glorified Son of God. The Bible tells us that when John saw him, he fell as a dead man. And Jesus touched him and strengthened him and had him stand upon his feet. So the things which thou hast seen, and we'll look at that again in much detail in our evening service. Then the second thing, the things which are very, very specifically chapters 2 and 3. Jesus himself gives John seven letters. Seven letters that he is to write to seven churches in Asia Minor. These seven letters, these seven churches, are representative of the things that are. We are presently living in what is known as the era of the church. We are living in one of the seven epics of church history. Each of these churches we will see represent a period of time and we are living in the last period of time, the church of Laodicea. It is a time where Jesus has said of the church, I would that you would be cold or hot, but because you're neither, I'm about to spew you out of my mouth. And it's important for us to be ready, that we would be hot and on fire for the Lord. And then finally, uh, we have the things that shall be hereafter, which is chapters 4 through 22. Very specifically, chapters 4 and 5, we'll see the church in heaven. And then chapter 6 through 19, the great tribulation that is occurring on the face of the earth. And then the rest of the story 19 or 20 through 22 so it's going to be some exciting time recognize please that the church during the first century again was under tremendous persecution difficulty what they needed more than anything was a revelation of the risen savior you see john the apostle is only one that is remaining at this time in history. Who was an eyewitness account? Who was an apostle of Jesus Christ? He heard the things that Jesus said. He saw the things that Jesus did. Matthew shared in many occasions that he has spoken most recently, as we've gone through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, that oftentimes John, when he came to the pulpit in the churches that were meeting, They would escort him to the front, and because of his frailty, he would only say a few words. Beloved children, love one another. And the sermon was over. And the folks, the people would stay for hours pondering what that meant. How do we love one another better? What a great idea. 
What a great idea. So this John, here, this persecution, now he's received a vision and a contact again with the resurrected Jesus Christ. Not only the living, but the resurrected and the glorified. Listen, this body of believers in the first century, they needed to know that God was still in control, that Jesus was on the throne. And all that he said was going to come to pass. I dare say there's many that may be sitting here today. All we need to know is that Jesus is still in control. Jesus is in control. You might be looking at your life circumstances right now wondering what in the world is going on. What is going on? What is happening all around me? Why is there such turmoil? Why is there such confusion? Why is there such brokenness? Why is there such deception? Why are all of these things happening? And we wonder, God, are you still on the throne? I can submit to you today that what is desperately needed in the church of Jesus Christ is a fresh revelation of our risen Savior. He's alive. He is alive. And He is sitting on the throne. And He is in control. He's in control. He's in control. Many have asked for revival. Many have said that the secret to revival and the beginnings of every revival that has happened throughout the history of the church has begun with prayer. It's begun with one man, one woman who just began to pray. Can I suggest to you that revival in your own heart will begin with a clear revelation of who Jesus is? A clear revelation. And this book, yes, it is a book of prophecy. Sorry about that. It is a book of prophecy. If I didn't have your attention, I do now. It is a book of prophecy. But if your purpose in studying the book is to have a greater knowledge of the future, I'm going to suggest to you, you're going to miss the point. The point of the book is an encounter with the one who it is about. That's Jesus. To encounter the living and risen Savior. All those other things will happen also. We'll have a clearer understanding of some future events, etc. But a clear vision of Jesus. Clear vision of Jesus. Okay, let's dive in. Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 this morning. Title of this message, The Unveiling. Verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants. Things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. Who bore witness to the word of God. And to the testimony of Jesus Christ. To all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads. And those who hear the words of this prophecy. And keep those things which are written in it. For the time is near. Three things I want to look at this morning very specifically. The person of the unveiling, the purpose of the unveiling, and the promise of the unveiling. So the first, the person of the unveiling, the ruler, King Jesus. Verse 1 says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. The one who is in charge. The one who is on the throne. The one who is coordinating Events, the one who is orchestrating our lives. He 
is king. And he is on the throne. And so, Jesus, the theme of the entire book of the Bible, when he was here for his very first time, it was concealed who he was. Some began to understand, some even on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection, their eyes were open and they had understanding because it was given to them that Jesus, that the Messiah must suffer and die and rise again. There is now an unveiling, if you will, his second coming, this resurrected Jesus. He is alive. He is reigning and he will continue to reign forever. He has been glorified, glorified. If you will look with me at chapter one, and it says this in verse 12. After John hears the voice, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. What you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches, which are in Asia, in Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Verse 12 says, Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like the flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining. In its strength. Verse 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Glorified Jesus. One other time we see this same image, if you will, of the glorified Jesus. It would be found in Matthew chapter 17. Jesus said to his disciples, There are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in glory. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 17. Now six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John up on the mountain. And he was transfigured before them. We have a similar description as this. Almost identical. But who was with him on that day was Moses and Elijah. And Peter, James, and John saw Jesus glorified. And the glory that he had prior to his incarnation. And the glory that he would eventually have after his resurrection and ascension. And they saw his glory. And they had not tasted death. And they saw him coming in his glory. You see, Moses would be a representation of the patriarchs. Those who had died prior to Christ and the death, resurrection, and ascension. Elijah would be a representation of the church which would be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. You see, the Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians that we who are alive and remain until the coming of Christ, we will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Remember, Elijah never died. He was caught up to heaven in a whirlwind. And so we have the resurrected Christ, the glorified Christ, 
with the patriarchs who have died in the Lord and with the church represented by Elijah. And they saw him in his glory. And you and I, we need, we need to be reminded. We need to be reminded that he is alive. We need to be reminded that he is on the throne. We need to be reminded that he has been glorified. And all power and authority is in him and has been given to him. And we need to be reminded that he is coming again. He is coming again. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you unto myself. Hallelujah. I am so eager for the trumpet to sound. I want folks to know Jesus. I want them to know Jesus so bad. But I am so ready for the trumpet to sound. The trumpet to sound. The person of the unveiling, the ruler, King Jesus. Secondly, the purpose of the unveiling. It really is a revelation of King Jesus. And I would again submit to each of us, all of us, the followers of Christ, we need a revelation of Jesus Christ. A personal revelation of the things which you have seen. What have you seen? What have you seen the Lord doing? What do you see the Lord doing in the hearts and in the lives of those around you? What do you see the Lord doing in your life? Will you be like John, who testified of the things which he had seen? I would submit to you that it is necessary for us in this revelation of Jesus. We need a personal revival. Personal. I need to be telling people what Jesus is doing and what I've seen him doing in my life and in the lives of others. Each of us here today, we need to be faithful to be communicating that which we see Jesus doing right now in people's lives. You see, because there are many who do not know Christ now. And it is testimonies of people that draw people nearer to the Lord as the Holy Spirit is bringing them close. If we would be just faithful to share... God is doing this in my life. God, I've seen God do this. I've seen Jesus Christ work these miracles in people's lives or these circumstances, these answered prayers. There's power. There's power. Hallelujah. Personal revival that we might communicate that which we've seen. Personal revelation of the things which are. What what things are you seeing come to pass from the Word of God. Again, those promises that people are holding on to. The psalmist says, remember the Word which you have caused me to trust in. Remember the promise that you've caused me to hope in. For that hope has given me life. How many of us have seen people's hope fulfilled in the answer of prayer? The fulfillment of the Word of God and those promises. Hey, folks, that it's time again for more personal reflection. We have personal revival going on now, personal reflection. And what I mean by reflection is we need to mirror that to the outside, that Jesus stuff. Let's again be communicating the things of the Lord. And then finally, a personal revelation of the all that shall be hereafter. We have a personal revealing, if you will, of some future events. 
God is telling us about some future events. And I will tell you, for me personally, when I was 19 years old, when I, when I realized that Jesus was coming and I wasn't ready, it, it really did scare me. It really did scare me. And it prompted me to go and hear, to go and listen and to respond. There's people that you and I come into contact with on a weekly basis that if we just remind, if we just remind them, listen, this is not the end of all things, but there is an end of all things. And just that little lure sent out there. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, the Bible says in the book of Revelation, most people are familiar with the book of Revelation. And when they hear the word book of Revelation, their ears will perk up. You will be speaking as one who has had the veil removed. They may be one who have not had the veil removed, and they will be very interested to know what the book of Revelation has to say. And so you will have a captive audience at that point. So I just want to encourage you. In the end, Jesus wins. In totality. You want to be on Jesus' side. This is how the conversation can go. Jesus wins in the end. You want to be on his team. Are you on his team? Well, I I think I am. I just want you to know, you can know that you are. You can know. You see how you can help people navigate towards salvation. And so, personal revealing, we tell people about the future. All right. So personal unveiling... Uh, the purpose of the uh, the person of the unveiling, the purpose of the unveiling, now the promise of the unveiling. Here's the here's just a little nugget for us today. Again, those who read it, those who hear it, and those who keep it, God has a blessing. That is a promise, a promise of blessing. Now, I know for me personally, pieces of the blessing. I know pieces of the blessing that will be for you also. But what God has in store for all of us in relationship to that blessing, I don't know. I don't know, but I know this much. He who said it is faithful and will fulfill it. There will be blessing. Here's what I know also. Where the scripture says he who reads it, that Greek word they're reading really entails reading it aloud one to another. Keep this in mind, in the first century, not everybody had a copy of the Word of God. In fact, in most cases, each congregation only had portions of the Word of God. They would read the letters that the apostles had begun to circulate. They had the Old Testament in its totality, but they didn't. They were living the New Testament. They were in the book of Acts, if you will. Right? And so they were they were without, and yet so when they came together, that's why the scripture says, and it means the same for us today as it did for them. Do not forsake the gathering together of the saints. That we might spend time reading and be engaged in the word of God. Faith comes by hearing. 
hearing by the word of God. When we read the word of God out loud one to another, our faith is encouraged. Our faith is built up. And so that word now. Not only this, he says the time is near. Let me, let me say these words and we'll conclude. Uh, we're going to come to the communion table in a moment. I just I have a couple last thoughts here. But he says, for the time is near. The time is near. It's interesting to note that in the first verse of Revelation, it says this. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. You might underline the word shortly there. The word shortly there in the Greek is intaxe. Intaxe. We get our English word tachometer from intaxe. It literally means as things begin to rev up. You see, I believe it's a tachometer in a car that measures the RPMs. Brian, is that right? Yeah. The tachometer measures the RPMs. And when you rev your more RPMs per minute, higher. Let me give you an example with intaxe means or shortly. If there was a timeline on the front of this room, Pastor Dennis represented uh, the beginning of that timeline, and all the way over here, Shanae represented the end of that timeline, if you will. In taxi or shortly means you'll see a sign somewhere here about your destination. And then you'll see another sign about here, and then you might see another sign somewhere about right here. And then maybe another one here, and another one here, and another one here, 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 here. And they start revving up as we get closer to the end. Are you with me? So he's saying shortly. In other words, as things begin to rev up, this is an important book. And listen, folks, it's revving up. Jesus said, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, nation rising against nation. You will hear of earthquakes in various places. And all these things are the beginning of birth pains, and the end is near. It's near. And gang, it's all happening. It's happening all around us. It's like if you were driving to New York from Portland, Oregon. You know, you might get to Montana and you'll see a sign that says, New York, you know, 2,300 miles. And then you might get over to the Dakotas and it says, New York, about 1,500 miles or whatever. And the closer you get, the more signs of New York you're going to begin to see. Well, the same thing, and he is reminding us, the things which must shortly take place. In other words... It's ramping, and when these things begin to ramp up, we're getting there. We're getting there. And gang, we're getting there. And so with the idea that we're getting there, Peter reminds us, he says, knowing these things, what manner of persons ought you to be in your holy conduct? In our holy conduct. So what what ought we be most about in these revved up days? We ought to be about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Communicating. Having a 
clear revelation of the risen, all-powerful, reigning Savior, Jesus, King Jesus. Hey, what I love about John, and I've said this most recently, John wasn't always this oozing agape guy. He once was the son of thunder, remember? The son of Zebedee, the son of thunder. God, should we just call down fire from heaven to consume that city because they didn't receive us? (laughs) Then he became this guy, beloved children, love one another. How did that transformation take place over time? Because of the one whom he spent time with. John began to get a revelation of who Jesus is. And on the island of Patmos, he has greater revelation of the love of God. And I would submit to you in these last days, everyone sitting here, to spend more time with our Savior would be so crucial for us. So crucial. Spending time with the Lord. Getting to know Him better. The Bible says that rivers of living water will flow forth. I just want to encourage everybody here today. We're going to be digging in real deep. We're going to be digging in much. Be prepared to come on Sunday nights as we go verse by verse. I I told someone, I told both my boys and maybe even Olivia, I said there's so much information that I want to share. I'm about to explode. And John said, well, Dad, just share it all. I said, I don't know that I can on Sunday mornings, but Sunday evenings, we'll go a little deeper. There's a lot here. There is a lot. And you can do some great study on your own. Okay? It's not, uh, I'm reading what others have already discovered. I'm doing some research on my own and all of those things. And it's just the opportunity to come and have a greater discovery. So please, please come and be a part. But at this time, we're going to come to the communion table. The question that I asked you this morning, where is your revelation of Christ today? What is your understanding of your Savior today? What do you love about your Savior today? What revelation is He giving you? I'm... I am convinced that revelation oftentimes can be stopped by our unwillingness to be a channel with which it flows. It's like a clog in the pipe when we don't share. And I just want to encourage you, we want to be open conduits of all that Jesus is revealing to us. To share with our brothers and sisters, to share with those who get to hear Christ and to know Christ. So my question to you, is there some stop gates? Has there been some barriers? Where are you in that revelation of your Lord and Savior? And as we prepare to come to the communion table this morning, individually, will you communicate with your Father who is in heaven and just remind Him, Lord, I desire to know you more. I desire to know you, Father. I desire to know you, Jesus. I desire to know you, Holy Spirit. And I am committing myself.
to be about my Father's business. I'm going to set myself time aside. I'm going to spend time not only in the Word of God, with the family of God, in prayer to you, God. I'm going to dedicate my life afresh. God, will you unveil as we study and as we read a clearer encounter that I might have with my Savior. I'm going to ask that that would be your prayer today. I dare say that I'm just telling you, that's my prayer. That's my prayer. I want to have a stronger encounter with the Lord. We all need that. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite our uh, elders if they would come and prepare the service this morning. And as they're coming, will you take these few moments and will you just talk to the Lord And in just a moment or two, I will invite you to come forward. We'll make our way down these kind of center aisles and make lines, and then we'll make our way back to our seats around the outside. And we'll do that in just a moment as these are preparing. Try to come on on this side here. And uh, Gil and Craig and others, thank you very much. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Will you stand with me this morning? I release you to come on down. Just just make your way, and when everybody has been served, we'll pray together. Please hold the emblems until we can all receive together in just a few moments.